Welcome to Authority Optional, Leadership Beyond the Rulebook. So today we're actually going to talk about gelling some of these ideas together. We've been, uh, we've been discussing leadership beginnings. So you're working with individuals, trying to get to know people, earning trust. So today we're going to talk about team cohesion. So this will be Leadership Beginnings Part 4. Uh, this includes being a realist, uh, the importance of people working for a cause and not a person, and the hyper value of having a common language. Enjoy the show. Enjoy the show. Enjoy the show. I don't know if that's going to stick or not. You're going to be showy today? <clears throat> I'm more showy than I have been. Nice. We'll see. Be a realist. Be a realist. So, uh, pardon me while I adjust my microphone, like I know what I'm doing. Josh, why don't you tell me, because I think this is something we both very much agree on. One of these days we'll find something that we don't fucking agree on and that'll be fun. <laughs> But for the time being, why don't you uh, tell me tell me what you do when you are either going to, yeah, leadership beginning, you're starting with a new team. What are some things that you do to let them know that they're working for a human and yeah. not just your run-of-the-mill corporate, everything's going to be great because we're working for the, what is that Lego song? Everything is cool or something? Oh, I have to go back and find that. <laughs> That's love that that's, song. I, that's a great the, the quote train that led to nowhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it for me the the thing is that first meeting, whether it's one on one, whether it's a team meeting, whether you've acquired a new team, whether it's bringing somebody into the team, and it very much establishes culture, which is setting expectations. Like what are what are the standards that people want to hit? What are the expectations that we have for each other? And as a leader. Uh, I typically start with some to kind of get things rolling. I'll ask the question first, uh, you know, what expectations do you have of me? And if it's if it's loose and if they don't have a lot, which happens often mm -hmm. because, you know, getting vulnerable with a manager right off the bat of what not not just what you expect from a performance standard. We get into that, but really the expectations of being a good human and things we talked about with with our values and and the things that we need to thrive. So expectations and, and what they need in order to be successful. Cool. So that's I, what I hear is, you know, the, the baselines we've been talking about, like when you're coming to a team, but how do you let them know you're a real human? Yeah. So one thing that I've had with every team that I've, I've ever been a manager for, I talk to them about the expectation that I won't blindside them. And I, I always throw that out because I feel like it's a bridge builder. Um, it definitely is one of the hardest things to deliver on. What that really means is when something new is coming out, you will know about it as soon as I know about it. The only exception to that would be if there was some legality, um, if there is some expectation, you know, within the parameters of my job, they have reasonable expectations for me as well. Mm -hmm. There might be something where I can't talk about it because it's proprietary information. We're going to have a new product or we're going to have something that rolls out at a certain time. I can't tell you about that. But when they're talking about making changes to things that are going to affect how we do the job on a daily basis, they can be like, okay, we're not going to share this with the team for a couple of weeks. Bullshit. We're going to share that with the team as soon as possible because... I know half that team is going to be a processing 
group of individuals. They're going to be analytical. They're going to need time. You have to give people that time to process. It can't be, hey, we're training on this. And by the way, it starts at two o'clock this afternoon. Have fun. I'll even say that's something that I may actually. All right, listeners, brace yourself because this is going to sound really audacious. But this is a situation where I might lie to my leadership. If somebody, if I get asked, hey, you, you know, we're, this change is coming down and it's going to affect employees this way or the customers that way. And they'll say, you know, you can't tell anybody yet. I got told a lot, a lot. You can't share this. And at some point I just learned to go, okay. And then yeah. I'll go to my team and go, here's what's coming. There's a compliance line and there is not a compliance line. And if it's not beyond the compliance line, because you're talking about things that your legal team could get involved with, then all bets are off because you know, we talked last week about values. We share one, which is protect the tribe. Yes. Protecting the tribe. And also I think letting people feel their worth and their value. If you have smart people on your team and you've, you've been lucky enough to bring them in and surround yourself with intelligent individuals, the difference between an order taker and somebody who's actually learning how to be a leader is the why behind it and why it's important. And I would rather have that discussion up front and work through all those problems before that policy or process actually hits, as opposed to then being completely reactionary with a team of 20 people and trying to take care of everybody who has a problem with some niche. Let's talk about it. That's a good distinction. Being reactionary and putting your team ahead of stuff is a huge difference. Just taking the information that's been fed to you by leaders, whether or not they tell you you're supposed to keep it to yourself and then running to your team and going, oh, this is coming. That's that's not good. That's not yeah. what I'm talking about. And also, so that's one important distinction. The other one is trust. It comes back to if I trust my team to keep it to themselves as much as they need to or communicate it to their team in a way that gets their team ahead of something, but we don't have to wait around until corporates decided that they've got, for whatever reasons, and there might be good reasons. I'm not... I'm not discounting that they have thought ahead or they have some regulations that they need to follow up on. There are things, and you talked about it, there are things that, you know, for legality reasons or for compliance reasons, there are tons of things that fall into the gray area. And this is a subject that I have had numerous arguments with my peers, other leaders, people have worked for me. I've I've tons of arguments about the gray area. Some people are super comfortable with black and white. Other people are more comfortable with gray area. I would argue more people are are comfortable with the gray area. That's where we want to live. We don't want to be rigid. We don't want to be held in by walls and rules. We want to be able to, this this is ties into how we were talking about letting somebody do something the way that they want to. If you're a black and white person, then you go, well, you have to do it this way. This is the only way because I happen to know that it works or I've seen it works or is it the way that it was handed to me? Fuck all that. Like... This, this falls in the same category of gray area. Now I'm going to go back to what I said before about this. That trust works two ways. And if I didn't say it before, I'm saying it now. Trust works two ways. Part of it is trusting yourself. If you feel this is a this is an area, I think I can talk about this. If you, if you get the sense that mm, I'm actually maybe I'm not sure about this one, fine, clamp down. But even then, there's things that you can say to your team, like, listen, there's there's something coming. I'm going to tell you as much information as I possibly can. Know that I'm not supposed to. So also keep it to yourselves. Like, but that requires the trust that we've already we've been barking about for yeah. the last three episodes. One one key distinction here, because, you know, the idea of building trust. I've had leaders before where, you know, they're talking in the context of, well, this is supposed to be confidential information. 
then why in the hell are you telling us? Yeah. But here's the differentiator. One is protecting the tribe, setting things up. And, and if this is uncomfortable because you're a new leader or you're new to this team, maybe you're only taking the one or two or three people that you actually already know, already trust. You see their leadership. You know who they are and what they're about. Maybe you only share it with those three or four people so that when it comes down, they can give the contribution as the person on the team. By the way, this is advanced shit. When you are pulling two or three people out of, say, 10 to 20, this is a very delicate balance. That's a covert operation. Yeah. And and it's not that you are showing favoritism. I want to be clear about that, that this is something that can easily be seen as, oh, well, you're showing favoritism to these three people. No, I'm reveal. I'm reflecting the trust they have earned and they will do good things with this information rather than horrible things. Right. And then here's my big distinction I would want people to hold on to. This is not about gossip or people, right? There is no place for you to talk about things that are confidential when it has to do with somebody, their job, their performance, how they responded to a situation that was supposed to be private. Good point. If you're protecting the tribe, you have to be a leader who can keep your mouth shut about that stuff. And if you can't, then we're not coming to you. Don't don't. The minute that you lose that piece of trust Trust me, the cancer will happen in the background. I've seen leaders completely come unraveled because their team starts to be like, well, he was talking about you and he was talking about you. And because they're talking to each other. Um, It's like when leadership says, hey, this is something we don't need to. You think that people aren't going to talk on the, you know, we're not supposed to talk about our salaries or who's making what or this or that and what level they're at. Do you know how often those bankers are taking a walk outside and they're like, how much do you make? How much do you make? How long have you been here? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's horse crap. That human nature is to compare. Yes. Uh, It's why we want. And that's a whole episode of why it's total horseshit. But I also want real quick. I want to jump on. I get that this is going to sound to our listeners like hypocrisy. Your leader is supposedly trusting you with information to not tell anybody, and then you're running off and telling people. So to tell only a few people on your team this one thing, and then you're asking them not to tell their peers, there's a couple things that are at play. First of all, I'm going to go back and say you have to trust yourself, and you have to trust your team. And if you part of the thing that you're trusting yourself with is, is the leader telling me something that is actually confidential does it fall into the gray are they just being a ah, what, what's the word like tightrope walking tight ass yeah <laughs> i mean i worked for somebody for years who just towed the company line and in fact this is going to be a whole other topic for us at some point but actually we'll get into it a little bit later on in this in this episode we're going to come back to shill i'll get to that but i worked for a person who was a shill and they towed the company line Ultimately, every every step of the way. So every time she was told this is confidential, she just bought it hook, line and sinker. There was no gray area. And yet she would come tell me things that I'm not supposed to know yet. And these are things. So here's where you're trusting yourself. Let me start over. These are things that you can sense will affect the other humans that are in your care. Negatively, usually. Usually negatively. Yeah. There's no reason to go rush telling somebody good news is coming because the good news is going to be welcomed no matter what. Bad news, people want to be in front of. Yeah, the word is blindsided. Yeah. Everybody wants to be prepared. It's, It's a feeling of safety. So 
I'm going to acknowledge that it sounds a little hypocritical for us to say, well, just because your boss trusted you with something that you're supposed to keep confidential, fuck all that. You can go tell your team. No, you got to discern. You have to trust yourself enough to know, all right, maybe I should keep this to myself. But there are times when you think, you know, it'd be really good for my team to have this information sooner than later. And who knows when the company is going to approve the communication of it. So I'm going to go tell a couple of key players that can help our teams get in front of this but because I'm technically not supposed to tell anybody, I'm going to tell them, hey, keep your mouth shut about it. But I'm also going to count on them to do the same exact thing I'm doing. This is where the hypocrisy ends. If they're going to tell a couple of their team members who they trust to help get the team in front of things, but not just gossip about it, not go running around crying wolf. That's really what the company's worried about. It, generally speaking, if I'm giving full credit to the C-suite of a giant corporation, even if they're a big, dumb company, you're going to hear this from me a lot, BDC. <laughs> even if they're BDC, they are doing things, in their opinion, for the best of the company. And one of the things that they acknowledge is that people are people. A person is smart. A person can be stupid and overreactive and histrionic and all the things. They understand that. So you're communicating much in the same way your boss is communicating to you because they trust you to do something good with the information. I maybe even if that means nothing, which is kind of ridiculous, you're doing the same to your leaders or to your people. You're, you're counting on them to do the same. If you're going to go tell somebody, please do it only to people that you trust to not go wreak havoc. That is, that is where the hypocrisy does not apply is you're communicating it to try to get everybody as many people as possible in front of it without creating panic. Yeah. So a couple episodes ago, we were talking about getting to know your people, knowing who they are, what they're about inside work, outside work. You don't share things like that at all unless you know. So it, it might be something where uh, upfront expectations could simply be the communication model showing up, laying groundwork for things like <clears throat> when we discussed making mistakes. Mistakes are going to happen. So the expectation I would have is that when we're talking about it and we're taking ownership of it, because we will, and I will as a leader, because ultimately it's always going to be my fault, is what's the plan moving forward? So mistakes happen, but it's how we recover from those that show our resiliency in building a culture. Yeah. And we're super going to get into creating a culture of psychological safety, which is an Amy Edmondson thing. Adam Grant came along and picked it up and added it into his stuff. There's, and by, by the way, psychological safety is not about creating safe spaces. If anything, it's the opposite. We'll get to that. We're, we're super going to get to that. I want to go back a couple of steps and reveal what I do to create a sense that I'm a real person. There are about three things that I do that I can think of off the top of my head. Number one is I try to leverage strengths as soon as possible. Oh, you like to be organized and dial stuff in. You're sort of at, you have administrative strength. Do you mind taking on some of this extra stuff that the team, I would ask everybody to do, but you're so good at it, you're comfortable. Do you want to? If they say no, fine, like we'll move on. But giving the opportunity to somebody to leverage something that they're good at, that's something I try to do right away. You learn those in your one-on-ones, which we've been talking about. The second thing I do is I find something, and this is, again, this is going to be controversial. I find something that the company's doing that I don't agree with, and I express it. Let me be very clear. This is a risky move at a team level. 
you've had experiences. Uh, there's been so <laughs> many great streamlining projects that have come from those conversations. Yeah. So yes, they can be incredibly useful, which is why I do it. But I know you have direct experience with expressing, oh, the company or the department or the leadership made a decision that I don't necessarily agree with. And you're just stating a fact. You don't agree with it. That can be risky because if you have anybody in your group that you don't have a trust relationship with, they can use that against you if they want to go tattle. If they they can turn it into something that it wasn't, which happens if somebody doesn't like you. And by the way, let me let me just state if you're here as a listener listening to us. Both Josh and I have dealt with haters. We, is, we have also been super top performers. It, how many people love the Patriots? Only Patriots fans. How does everybody else feel <laughs> about the Patriots? I refuse to comment. Right. Everybody else fucking hates the Patriots. Why? Because they're perennial winners, or they were when they had Tom Brady. They probably will still keep, keep doing well. I'm actually not a sports ball guy, but I do know this about the Patriots. <laughs> anyway, the third thing that I do is... If you haven't heard by now, listener, I like to swear, and that's just going to be part of the show. Hopefully you're okay with it. If you're not, you don't have to listen. We're not charging you for it. It's free. It's fine. <laughs> Tune out if you, if you don't like the F-bombs or whatever. But one of the things that I will do to express that I'm a real human, and I've been doing this forever, since as long as I can remember, I will slide in sort of the gentler swear words, and especially if you work in a giant corporation, a big dumb company where swearing is frowned upon. You're you're not supposed to, even though everybody does, but you're supposed to act like nobody swears. I've done that countless times with new employees, especially the new ones. Those are my favorite or new employees to my team. They've, they've worked. That's actually even better. They worked for somebody else who's towed the company line and they they've never crossed it for as long as they've been working here. And they come to me and I'll go, man, that's a that's a hell of a goal that you've got there. And like, I can see them kind of flinch a little bit like, Oh, hell's hell's fine. You know, they can say that on TV and then I'll slide in a damn. And every once in a while, like, yeah, man, I had this, this, this bitch of a project. And then like, you know, like I can see their butts clench. And the first time I drop, drop an F bomb, it shouldn't be quite so shocking, but this is one of the things that I do with employees to let them know I'm a real person. We all swear. I get that. Even people who say they don't swear probably slip once in a while if there's a human out there that never swears, they're in the one percentile probably. And it's fine. It's just language. It has its value. It has its use. You may not agree with it. You don't have to. But you usually can assert that somebody who is swearing in front of you probably feels some level of comfort, whether that's with you or themselves or their environment. There's a level of comfort, particularly when you're at work and in a corporate environment, even more so. Somebody who's swearing is seems like they don't have anything to worry about. And that puts people at ease. And I've, I only know that because I've done it. I started out doing it on accident. And then I realized, oh, that was kind of beneficial. Like they have that reaction. I'm going on a little too long about this. So I'll wrap this up. I, they have that initial, <laughs> <laughs> they have that initial reaction where I say something and they, they kind of look around, like they almost can't help, but, oh my God, you're going to get us in trouble or you're going to get in trouble. And then nothing happens. And then I swear again and and they look around and nothing happens. And then eventually I know we're in the right place when they swear in front of me. Mm. Like, welcome. Yeah. Welcome home. Definitely know your team. Like yes. in team meetings, I'll use things like I don't give two shinolas. Mm. Whereas in a one-on-one with somebody who maybe he even has already displayed or we've uh, sometimes we've even asked the question. It's like, you know, discussing bother you because sometimes that slips out. And I, you know, I 
I can shut that off. I'll point. ask the question outright. Yeah. Um, those those can be expectations, and it's really good to know. One last thing in leveraging strengths, not blindsiding people, and and using you know those those types of expectations. We had talked about the the differentiation between sharing something that's going to be impactful to somebody versus gossip and mm. and that type of thing. Gossip is antitrust. If you're talking about somebody and talking about what they have done and you haven't talked to them first, yes, then that is the antithesis of protecting the tribe. Haven't talked to them first or have no plans on talking to them. Right. Because there's definitely situations where you can go to somebody and go, I need to have this conversation with this person, but I am as yet unprepared and I am looking for a little bit of insight or at least for you to be a sounding board. We're still not in gossip territory. They're planning on having the conversation. The other thing that I think reflects deeply in that is trust built on commiseration, on on mutual indemnity, never goes anywhere. It never grows. People will chuck each other under the bus very quickly if that's the only thing that they've ever built trust with. And when you know you have your culture down is when that new person talks smack about one of the people on their team and the team member who's been there for a year or two years just looks at him and goes, uh, we don't do that here. Or when are you going to talk to him about it? Yeah, that's one of those things where if you haven't set those expectations, they're like, what do you mean? When am I going to talk to him about it? It's a beautiful thing to have somebody come into the group like the one we had. And it it has happened where somebody comes in and they're like, can you believe so and so blah, 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 blah. And I'll look at him and be like, I can't believe that you're trying to talk to me about my friend. If you have an issue do you really have an issue with that? Or, and they'll be like, Oh, well, uh, and it's like, if you really have an issue, like I want to know, I want to communicate that because I got harmony in my top five, you're screwed. We're going to talk about it. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, if the only thing you were trying to do was build up some sort of camaraderie with mistrust. Well, even with harmony, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that when you came to my team, there was elements of your, your previous job, job trauma, So I would imagine in previous jobs, if you were asked, are you going to go talk to this person about this issue? Because if you're a leader, sometimes people are going to come to you with their problems. In fact, ideally, that's what they're doing. They're coming to you for guidance. So if somebody's coming to you and going, hey, man, so-and-so, what what is the deal with that person? Your job as a leader is to get all the information, get get it all out of them so that they can see, they can hear how it sounds. They can, they can flesh out their thoughts. And then what I always used to do, and it, it it took some time for some people to adjust. I don't think it took you very long to adjust. But you ask, when are you going to go talk to them about it? Not are you going to talk to them about it? When? I'm now asking for the dreaded words, an action plan. And I think it's safe to say the first couple of times I hit you with that, you probably were like, Jesus, are you for real? Like, First of all, is it okay that I go talk to them about this? Because this, I mean, I feel a little bit like maybe I'm being a little petty or, you know, I'm, I'm making what a great mo- self-reflection. Are yeah. you being petty? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm making a mountain out of a molehill. Or also, do we have those kinds of conversations? Because I'm afraid that I might cause some team dissension. Pe- people have plenty of fair thoughts to talk themselves out of going and having a conversation with somebody about something that's bothered them. We're excellent at protecting our ego. As a matter of fact, that is its most important job. Your ego is to protect all of the things that you believe. That's its only job. Or if it's not its only job, it's its most important job. 
And it's up to us to override that and go, well, that's not really the best, most productive thing to do is to keep this to myself because I'm going to build resentment and resentment leads to hatred, essentially. Yeah, this goes back to intent, though. If you come to somebody like if I went to Max and it's probably it's it's been rare. And, and for me, honestly, it's still one of those things that's difficult is to go to somebody who is my my overseer or my, my, my we don't like to <laughs> use the overseer. boss. Yeah. We don't, we don't like to use the boss word at all, but going to somebody who does have authority uh, over what you're doing, your career and asking them to have a conversation about something that they're doing that is bothering you. When you have built these baselines and you're building trust, one of those baselines of expectation for me is we can always have a critical conversation as long as it's coming from a place of support. Yes. Going back a couple of steps, and this is one of your favorite words, intent. Yeah. So so if I have a leader that's a, a level up or even two levels up that approaches me with something that I've done or said, and it could be taken out of context, et cetera, if, if they didn't talk to me first that doesn't ever feel like it's coming from a place of support. You know, if you had somebody that just outright came to you and said, Hey, you know, I've been keeping my mouth shut cause you're my boss. And, but it really bothers me when you cuss that that's a knob that we can turn off. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up because I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable or offended in any way. Right. And that's a, that's a something that we control. So we shut that off. Those are those instances that actually build trust where somebody can say, Hey, I don't like the way we're doing this or the way that, you know, you've handled this, et cetera. I'm going to go back on a chicken walk and I'm going to tell the first story. The first time this ever happened, I was an assistant manager in a gym and I was upset about some sort of policy, some sort of process that was really frustrating to me. I'm all of 25, six, something like that. There's glass walls between these offices, right? Oh. The operations manager's like, hey, can't you pick know, your nose or anything. We can't, we can't do X in that way. We have to use this this form and do it a very certain way. And and it's fine, right? It's it's the process that helps keep things organized. When you have the why behind it, it can be very important. So my manager, who's the sales manager and the general manager for the gym, pulls me into his office and he explains it to me and the fact that it's it's a mistake, etc. And I slam my book shut and I get up and I walk out of his office and he immediately calls me back in and says, get in here. And you can see the operations manager like, oh, God, I got him in trouble. I'd gone and I'd sat at my desk. He comes out. The general manager comes out, grabs me, says, come back into my office. And he's like we're explaining something to you that has to happen at this operational level to keep things running smoothly. Can you explain to me? And he asked, he got curious. He was, hmm. one of the, he was a great manager. Hmm. He said, can you explain to me that display, that physical display of frustration of slamming your book closed and walking out and throwing your book down on your desk and sitting down at your desk and starting to thumb like, well said. Yeah. Good for him. And I looked at him and I went and, and all of a sudden it clicked for me and I went, Oh my God, because I'm pissed at myself that I let myself get frustrated about mm. something. And, and I said, let me handle this. And he goes, you'd better. I walked right into operations manager's office and took ownership of the fact that what you saw was me making a mistake and me being pissed at myself. I'm not upset with you in any way, shape or form. And I will pay more attention to how I am seen and how people see me. And I'm so sorry because that had nothing to do with you. Yeah. That tantrum was not your fault. Not only in that moment did he build trust with me because he got curious. I built trust with her because I took ownership 
of an epic fail and self-awareness and that slow process of you don't know what you don't know until somebody goes, hey, do you know you do that? Yeah. (laughs) So for me, that was the most powerful single instance where my behavior on the floor in front of other people will be taken in whatever context their brain makes up, even if it had nothing to do with them. And it was all about self-loathing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pissed at myself. It's important to understand that, especially as you get into leadership, the higher you go, the more people that you are in charge of, the more visible you get. And this was something that I got educated, even though it was something that I kind of knew instinctively and I had been told by good leaders before me, you will be they, they said more and more exposed, and that is a good word for this. You become more and more exposed and maybe even more and more vulnerable because you're going to walk around and it's just the nature of the way that we handle leadership as a, as a species. If you're watching somebody who's walking through who is your boss's boss's boss, you just can't help but pay attention to see what they're doing. Are they upset? Are they mad? Are they going to walk through? Are they going to talk to me? What's, that, what's going on with that conversation over there? Even none of your business, it's none of your business, (laughs) of course, but you can't help but have people's curiosity up. You just, you have to acknowledge that you're super visible. All right, let's totally change gears here. Let's talk about one of the things that's super important to me. I've learned this. (laughs) I think I learned this from Batman. That's, you know what? I learned this before Batman, but it really, uh, (laughs) yeah. listen, I learned a lot of my lessons from movies. It's fine. Uh, I have a lot of good things to say. People want to work for a cause with people. So let me break that down a little bit. Nobody wants to work for a person. And I'm saying nobody is generality. Of course, there are exceptions to the rule. If you find a really good boss, I've mentioned one of mine before, I would love to work for him again. If he had a job, if he had a gig that he needed me for, I would love to work for that guy again. But generally, I would rather work with people. That includes whoever I'm reporting to. And I would imagine that is true for those who would report to me. They would rather work with me than for me. People would rather work for a cause. So I'm going to break down the example that I used. The, the, the movie reference, Batman, is because it was expressed probably the best one in, uh, I think maybe in the Christian Bale version, Dark Knight or uh, Batman Begins. Jesus, my, all, all my names are out the window. He discovered that nobody would fear a man, but they would fear an icon. The same goes in the other direction. People will have respect for a cause rather than a person. You can go volunteer your time to a community. That's a cause. You are helping those that are in need. Working for a person who does that, it's not the same. If, you, if they tell you, you now have to go donate your money or your time, you're working for this person, it doesn't feel the same. You're being told what to do. But if you believe in the cause, then you are now wrapped up into a tribal thing, a communal thing. Yeah. So my can I ask? Yeah. yeah go oh, for sorry. It. Well, I was going to ask how do you how do you do that in a corporate context? Because the people who are at these entry level positions where you're a middle manager for you're you're managing frontline employees, they don't care about shareholder value. They don't care about the company's trillion dollar in some cases annual net bottom line. How what is it that you're getting them to buy into? Because it sure as heck isn't making somebody an extra 25 cents on their stock. No, absolutely not. And it's, it's both easy and difficult in corporate. It's easy because you have a bunch of options, but it's difficult because almost no matter what your option is going to come across as cheesy. 
And here's where I'm going to tell everybody, <laughs> embrace the cheesy, man. Sometimes if you just accept that it's cheesy and can make light of it and can make fun of it, people will still get on get on board. I will give you a super cheesy example. My last name is Powers. I always called my team the powerhouse. Pause for laughter. It's cheesy, but it is also, nobody said I work for Max. Nobody said, all right, you know, I work for Mr. Powers or whatever. Duh. They always said, I'm on the powerhouse. And as a matter of fact, one of the greatest victories I ever had in my corporate life, I had to give up a team because they were all, I'm trying to do the shortest version of this story. Let's just say this. There were good reasons that I had to give up the team. I had to go take over a completely different kind of team in a different department. And I had to give up my, my Lamborghini of a team. I had, this was when I was, I had direct bankers reporting direct to me. They were so good. They were, they were number one in the country. This team of bankers, these like 11 to 15 people, they were the best bankers as a group across the nation for the year. It's in my records. And I was being asked either continue to work for this guy who you love, which means you're going to have to take a different team and give up your Lamborghini or keep your Lamborghini and work for this other person who I knew I was going to hate and I knew was going to tear apart my team. So I was like, well, the team's going to get torn apart either way, unless they all make it into this like sort of super team situation. We call them banker coaches. So there's bankers and banker coaches, banker coaches get to assist L and D learning and development in training bankers. They go through their training, then they come out and they get handed to the banker coach team. And then the banker coach team gives them on the, on the job training. It's a, it's an elevated position for the bankers. They're still bankers, but it's an elevated position. Nine out of, it was 11. Now that I remember nine out of 11 of my team members got to be banker coaches. They all had to interview for it. Every single one of them and nine out of the 11 made it into a 15 person team. So the vast, the large majority of the new banker coach team were mine. Did the banker coach manager come to you and thank you. (laughs) She said, thank you. And also she was really smart. She said, I'm intimidated because in training, she's like, I joined the training room because they have to go through training special for banker coaches. She was like several times throughout training, they were referencing the powerhouse. I think they couldn't shut up about it. And they were so proud and so united. She's like, I'm a little intimidated to take these people. Like I'm not going to live up to whatever you created. And I was like, just let them work together. That's all you have to do at this point. That's what they do. Just leave them alone. (laughs) Find good people and get out of their way. Find good people and get out of their way. Let them work together. That's really what these guys need. Don't try to squash the powerhouse thing. It'll die out eventually. Like it's fine that it's a great memory for them and it's great for you right now that it unites them because as long as they're working together, your team's going to kill. So that was one of my best memories is these people that walked away from quote unquote, the powerhouse. We're still talking about working for the powers. Not a fucking one of them ever said, I used to work for max powers. Not a one. That's not what they said. So this amazing group of people believed in a cause. So to answer your question, what was my cause? (sighs) I have mixed feelings about it, but I'm a hyper competitive person. My causes were going to be number one. You're familiar with this because you came to my team at some point and this was still my cause. We're going to be number one. But what does that mean? It doesn't just mean we're going to get good numbers. You have to do the right things to get good numbers, which means ultimately we're taking fantastic care of customers. If we're taking fantastic care of customers, we will be number one. And at some point, my my big ultimate goal was what I called number one with a bullet, which meant any way you looked at it, 
any metric across the board, we were going to be number one in every single thing. We never quite achieved that because that is not impossible because people are people and metrics go up and down and people have bad months and bad days and whatever. But my cause was you're coming to the best performing team in the land. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm expecting you to suddenly be among the best and act like an elite tomorrow. What I am expecting is for you to go around and talk to people and find out how we're the best in the ways that make sense to them so that you can find your ways to make the best out of what you're doing that makes the most sense for you. That sounds an awful lot like using your own strengths to figure out how to do your job successfully. Funny that. In, in your own way. Well, and that's that's part of the expectation process for me. The, the way that I engaged my teams was always through development. Let me see if you can get on board with this. My, my job and the way I see myself is to remove the obstacles for you to become who and what you want to be, to get your skills and close those gaps, to take the next level of job or to go find your dream job. I All super, I want to do is work on that. Are you okay with that? I have a super short way of saying that. My job is to make your job as easy as possible. Yeah. And even a step further, really like the expectations I have for myself, I want to be in the position of just working my butt off to get you what you need. Yes, to be successful. But if you want to coach or be off the phone or have a different job or get a different education, how do we take that development piece? And so my cause was my employees. That That's the whole reason I'm there as a leader is to get them where they want to go. But I would voice that. Mm-hmm. So that's a really easy cause to jump into. It's like, I can't get on board with this, man. He wants us to be awesome and do whatever we want and like make more money and have a better career. And I'm just, I just want to be here answering phones, getting yelled at all day. I just want to pardon the pun, phone it in. Yeah. <laughs> so I was listening to Simon Sinek podcast with Arthur Brooks, who recently wrote a book on happiness with Oprah Winfrey. Mm. And what they talked about was things that are, to this point are cliche, we know happiness isn't a destination. The one defining thing that they found through research was the things that made people happy were when they felt progress, when they got better at something, when they learned something, when they achieved something, and the satisfaction that comes along with that. Mm -hmm. And it's really powerful for me to hear that completely separately from somebody who is educated, running research studies, um, digest that constantly to this little idea that I have of I'm going to engage people by giving them what they want and what they need in how they work to Mm. progress and develop and build skills. That is what, for me, engages a team. I have yet to have that fail. The only way that it fails is if the person literally is phoning it in. They have no interest. And there are people out there that that fall into that category. But then what you did where you shifted over, you're like, I'm going to stay with this individual who I want to work for, but I'm going to take on a new team. And it's something that's repeatable. And we have found over years between us with hundreds and hundreds of employees, it is absolutely repeatable. If you give people what they need to thrive, they will be engaged It looks different for every person. It's a great way to run a team and feel like for my own value set that I can be a good human. I can do creative and new things based on who those individuals are and what they need. And it is intrinsic to protecting the tribe, giving them what they need to be successful. Yeah. Incremental increases. We've talked about that a little bit, but this is where, you know, this is both of our second core principle. 
always be improving and your, I think yours is always be creating, but that's, that's the same. If you're creating, you're probably improving. And that's what we're trying to do. Ostensibly, we're going to be doing that with this podcast. We're going to try to review things and get a little bit better every time to make this more and more interesting and compelling for people to listen to because, well, we'd love an audience. We would love to get these ideas out there because these ideas have worked not just for me and Josh. They've worked for hundreds, if not thousands of people. My wife and I were doing a little bit of math the other day and realized I probably have seen thousands of employees go through in my years because I was in a position to see 200 people at a time. And because it was a contact center, it was a revolving door. And at best, we had a really killer attrition rate of single digits, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with contact center attrition, that is unheard of. As a matter of fact, my competition, which were always the other people doing the same job in my line of work in the same company, they were averaging 40 to 45% at the best of times. And we were averaging 9% at our peak. And it's things like this, things like we're things that we're talking about, building trust, allowing people to grow, helping them grow, sort of pressing the issue and going back a couple of steps about a person who just wants to phone it in. This may not be a job fit. We talked about in the last episode, they may be miserable, accept that they're miserable, that this might not be the job for them, help them understand that and then help them explore the options. But we're not going to dive into that again because we did that the last time. I do want to mention a couple of things about how to live your cause And they're not necessarily going to seem related when you hear them, but maybe you can do some math in your own head. A couple things that I do for one is I already talked about a little bit. I avoid being a shill. I'm not a shill for the company. So when something comes down the pipe and you've built a, a team with trust, you've built trust in your team, they will know. If they know you to be a person who is a shill for the company, they're not going to argue with you. They're not going to say anything, but they are going to go back to their desks talk a little shit, grumble, do whatever they got to do to to move forward until they have been brainwashed enough to also be a shill for the company. I never did that. And this was something we agree on this. Your version is you're going to not blindside people. My version is I'm not going to hide my feelings about something. So if the company had decided to do something and I didn't agree with it, I will express my disagreement doesn't mean I'm going to be a dick about it. It doesn't mean I'm going to tear apart the company in front of everybody's eyes. Although I probably, I probably said a couple of things that I'm not proud of if I think back on things because I just want to be honest. I just want to be me, which leads me to the second thing, honest and transparency, which by the way, we've talked about setting expectations. Honesty and transparency is the other side of expectations. You are fulfilling the promises that you made in the beginning. These are the expectations that you can have of me as your leader And then later on down the road, you get an opportunity to show them, yes, this is in fact what I'm going to do. You have now fulfilled a promise. Here's a super granular example of that, that we used to teach our bankers. You're going to get a phone call. They're going to tell you their problem. And then you are going to tell them all the things that you're going to do to solve their problem. I'm going to ask you a few questions. I'm going to have a form to fill out. I will have a case ID number for you at the end of this phone call. Is that all right? And then the customer says, yeah, sure. That's what I called for. And then you ask them a few questions. You fulfilled promise number one. You're clickety-clacking on your side of the call. You're filling out a form. You fulfilled promise number two. Are you ready? Do you have a pen? Would you like to write down your case ID number? You're fulfilling promise number three. This builds trust. In a five-minute call or less, you can build trust with another human, and that trust can then make them feel good about the company that they're doing business with. That is a very microscopic version of what you can do with your team as a leader because it's harder on a grander scale to go, 
you can count on me to tell you when I don't necessarily think that something the company's doing is the right move. If I have to ask you to do the thing that they're asking you to do, just know that I don't agree with it either and I'm going through this log with you and I will do everything in my power to make sure it's as easy for you as possible. That's a promise that you can make and then you can fulfill it later when you have to deliver bad news about the move a company is making and go, listen, I get it. It sucks. Here's what, here's, here's what I would like to do about it. What do you guys think? In fact, this is the best way that you can handle this a little bit outside of, actually, no, this is totally inside of having people work for a cause. If part of your cause is we are going to be a dynamic team that crushes competition because we all work together and leverage our strengths. When something shitty comes down the line from the C-suite, you go, all right, guys, here's what's coming. What should we do? How do you want to handle this? How do you want to handle this? I'm not going to tell you how we're going to handle this unless all of you vote. You would just like me to give you direction, which, by the way, never happened. Never. I always gave that as an option. If you want me to tell everybody what to do, I will. And then I'd see a bunch of heads shaking. And I'm like, okay, start even, talking. Even leading sole contributors as opposed to people who are already in a leadership capacity, those sole contributors still. Uh, and that's the beauty of expectations, bringing things up early and being transparent. When somebody voices it on the team, they're like, are you kidding me? And it's like, let's talk about it. Now is when I want I want I want to have some modicum of control over the anxiety that's happening so that I can lead them through that. Mm -hmm. And you're always going to have one or two people that are going to go off and you're like, yeah, I I see the same thing. How are we going to overcome this? And then you're always going to get those different perspectives. They're going to bring each other down. And it also builds trust between your team because, you know, you have somebody who might be a little more volatile and somebody else has that perspective. This person who's a little more volatile might be like, man, this is really going to bother me. Maybe I can just ask this person or bring this up or, hey, I have a question in a meeting and I know I'm going to get great feedback around what I'm feeling anxiety over. And you've created the psychologically safe space we're talking about where it's it's okay to be pissed. On the flip side of that, now that you've had some time to process and digest, when it actually happens three days, five days a week down the road... They're not in the middle of that anxiety while they're on the phone with their customers or going out and making a sales call. They've already thought it through. They've already got perspective. This is not being reactionary and leaving people out to flap in the breeze. This is actually getting in front of something. And this is what we're talking about. We're not we're not just talking about like oh, the CEO is going to quit. It's none of their business. Nobody cares. If we if we found that out for some reason that that's not something I would, you know, will it impact us? Not really. Now, if there's a new policy or process or something that we're changing that could impact our standing with the SEC, something along that line. Yeah, we're going to we're going to talk about that as soon as we possibly can. Yeah, but you're right. Generally speaking, the CEO changing hands almost never changed us, changed our job. What usually changed us is the regional. Somebody who came in and were like, I'm I'm in charge of the contact centers. Let's really dive into this and see why you guys suck. Well, first of all, we don't. (laughs) Second of all, Maybe we suck compared to the contact center you used to run. Oh, you didn't used to run contact centers. So you actually have no basis. Anyway, I'm going to digress and I'm going to stop myself <laughs> don't from doing do it. it. I don't want to do it. That's not constructive. One of the things you said is actually a really nice segue into the last thing. One of the things that we were going to talk about today was common language. The hyper importance of having a common language. One of the things this does for you is you talked about somebody who's a little bit more volatile, talking, going and talking to somebody who is a little bit more down to earth or collected or what have you. Having a shared language gives them an opportunity to avoid some of the pitfalls that can happen. Like, I'm pissed about this. If you go to somebody and you don't have a shared language about that, somebody might go, 
what do you want me to do about it? But if you have that shared language, somebody can go, yeah, man, I, I get it. I hear you. You want to know what some of my thoughts are? I'm like, yes, damn it. That's why I came to you. Like, I want to know what you're doing about this because you seem calm about this. Here's an example of both common language and using the team strengths. This is a story I had. I have mentioned him before. His name is Rob. This was uh, my favorite boss of all time. He helped me overcome a struggle I had with one of my team members. She always would poke holes in things. We'd come up with a plan. Going back a step. I'm nodding because poking holes is a strength. Yes. (laughs) As long as you justify what you're about to do before you just start poking holes. That's a good point of what I learned after this experience. What I had to do was I had to go to him and complain about her complaining, essentially. I was like, so going back a step, this would be, you know, the team meeting where he goes, all right, this thing is coming down. What do you guys want to do about it? Some people would start coming up with ideas about what to do. And she'd be like, well, that's not going to work because of this. And that's not going to work over there. The bankers will be pissed off because of that. And at some point I went to him like, this is nonsense. Like she's holding us back. She's literally slowing us down. And he said, do you know that she has strategy in her top five talent themes? And I went, you're full of shit. Context, I also have strategy in my top five. And my strategy does not look like that at all. He's like, oh, yeah, she has strategy in her top five. I was like, I need context. I need you (laughs) to help me understand because this is baffling. He said her version of strategy is spotting all the obstacles. She can see the minefield. But because you're pissed off about every time she throws up an obstacle, you don't let her finish. So next time, why don't you ask questions instead of going, you know, whatever it is you're doing, like, we're just, okay, fine, we'll do, do it this way. And then she points out the minefield for that one. Like, fine, we'll do it this way. Like, you're coming up with ideas a mile a minute, and she's finding the obstacles every time. If you stopped and asked her, what are these, what do you think? Like, how can we get around these? You guys might actually make a fantastic team. Well, of course he was right. <laughs> so I went to her and I had this conversation with her and I said, I perceive you to always be poking holes, but it has been brought to my attention <laughs> that perhaps this is you proactively spotting obstacles that we might be able to avoid. Does that seem accurate to you? And she's like, yeah, nobody's ever said that, but yeah, that does feel like what I'm doing. Like, okay, going forward, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to come up with some solutions or be on board with us identifying these obstacles and then seeing if there's anything we can do to go around them. Like, how do you feel about that? We got on board. She became one of my best coworkers ever. We were a force to be reckoned with because I would toss out an idea. And I, by the way, strategy helps you see a bunch of obstacles just naturally. I see some, but she would see them all. That was her focus. Every talent theme can have a particular avenue that they're really good at. And that's, she was phenomenal at it. And it came across because she was kind of bitchy and she would laugh at hearing me say that because I had called her out on it a couple of times. Um, she would say, yeah, I am a little bitchy, but because of that, it would sound like she was just going, well, that's not going to work because of this. It's like, well, first of all, say it, say it in a tone that you're actually trying to help. If you know, if that seems fair and she's like, oh yeah, okay, I can do that. We became like brother and sister. So it became a really good relationship. And it was because the boss that I worked for went, you need to know more about this person. I'm going to give you this freebie, but the rest is on you. You got to go find out more about this person. And that is part of having a shared language and going and saying, okay, we're all trying to be on the same page. We know this about the team. We know this about the situation that's going on, yada, yada. And then 
you go forth and have great conversations and then you kick ass and you get a sister out of it sometimes or a brother or a sibling. If you don't want to be uh, if you want to be concerned about pronouns, <laughs> there's so much going through my head right now. When we talk about, you know, Clifton strengths and, and as we get deeper into it, there's balconies and basements, mm-hmm. right? Yep. It is definitely a balcony for strategy to be able to see the minefield. It is definitely a basement. If you're not self-aware to look like you're just, griping about everything that's coming down the pipeline. Right. So the two things I heard in that story were a leader becoming more self-aware of needing to be curious. Why do you punch holes in things? This is not, if Rob wasn't there and Rob didn't point that out, but you're a curious leader that goes back and says, you know, here's, here's what's what I'm feeling about it. It feels like you're just punching holes in everything that I bring up what you know maybe they can self-identify that they have strategy you know if we're talking a specific thing like disc or strengths or or that type of of you know really self-analyzing why you do things and how you do things but the thing that i heard in there really was a manager learning to become self-reflective i need to be curious Mm -hmm. and an employee because you came at them from a place of support Mm -hmm. going oh i've never thought of it like that I had this exact same instance with you. Hmm. I maybe recognized a little more often that I needed to be in front of it because I was like, oh, man, I'm just punching holes and stuff and I sound like a jerk. Then this story came up in the context of, okay, so if I'm going to punch holes in something, I can raise my hand. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what are you seeing? And I said, can I punch holes in a couple of things and we can kind of get some perspective because I have a couple things I'm worried about. Now I've set the precedence that we're going to be thinking out loud. It's not just me going off in a completely separate, dark direction. You're not just venting. No, this is, I'm concerned. I'm coming from a place of support. Here's problems potentially that I see. Now it's not me diatribing on what's wrong with everything. It's me saying, hey, I, I see X or Y or Z and learning to take notes and go through those back and forth. And getting perspective from other people that might, oh, I'm wrong because we can make this work instead. Or maybe like, yeah, that's a really great point. Anybody got a way that we can skirt around that issue to still make this piece work? And that's the power of a team and that psychological security and actually drawing people in to be vulnerable and share and talk. And I get so much going through my head. Yeah. (laughs) If uh, Well, we'll save it for another day. I will say this, that one of the things that I wish I had back when we were all doing that job, this is an Adam Grantism. You said you'd raise your hand and say, is it okay if I punch holes in this? He's got a way of doing this, which I think is brilliant. It works one-on-one and it would work on a team is, can we dance? It's so nice. Can we dance? It sounds so lovely. It's the same. It's more like boxing than dancing, but yeah, but can we exchange blows for a moment? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's. It's eloquent and it represents exactly what you really want, which is we're going to do this together and we're going to, I'm going to take a step and you're going to match that step. And this is, uh, I want to go back to another previous point from, from a different day. This is the crux to me of diversity in a team. Mm -hmm. This is where somebody can bring something up and other people's perspectives make those ideas much more powerful when you're creating something. Everybody adds that special ingredient that they bring. That's also when we're talking about inclusion and diversity and really, really bringing it as a leader because your ideas are not the be all end all. But when you have 
10 or 12 or 15 other people all adding in their nuggets of their best ideas, that's where you make that incremental increase and it really makes a difference. Side note, I hate the word nuggets. All right, you want to do the outro? (laughs) (laughs) So when it comes to team cohesion, I love this idea of realism, meeting people where they're at and, and actually going through the things that people need to have to understand what is our cause, what is our common ground, and goes right back to that that language. The pieces here of self-reflection, we're tying back into what, again, is the intent, etc. It's how you build the baselines of a bulletproof team.